We come to you right now in the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that as I speak, that it's your words, not mine. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open and ready to receive what you have for us. Father, I pray that your words would pierce our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, we're going to do part two of The Greatest Miracle. Uh, If you were with us last weekend, uh, we started this for the first time. Uh, talking about what the greatest miracle in the Bible is. Now, if you were with us last week, you already know the answer to that. Um, If you weren't, then you're going to find out this morning. So we're going to be doing part two of the greatest miracle. What this came from was out of John 14, 12. Let me just read that to you uh, as we open this up. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with my father. So John 14, 12, he tells, he tells the group of people with, he's with, he tells his disciples, Hey, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, right? That is intimidating in itself, right? The idea that I should be doing the same works that Jesus did in his walk on the earth, right? Jesus did a lot of crazy stuff when he was on the earth, healed people, raised people from the dead, walked on water, you know, fed 5,000 people with one happy meal. He did a lot of stuff, right? That, that I haven't come close to to doing, that I haven't come close to accomplishing. Then he goes further and says, and, and hey, by the way, you're even going to do greater works. I said, okay, Jesus, you put a lot on my plate already. Now you're going to throw that on top, that I should be doing even greater works than what Jesus has done. Like I already said, uh, if you look at the miracles of Jesus, you can Google you can get on Google and Google the miracles of Jesus recorded in the Bible, and they will list them for you. Uh, the scripture that, you know, where it's recorded, uh, and you can get them in order that they were performed in, and you can look at all those, and there's, you know, like 40 miracles. And then in John, it says, if we wrote down every miracle that Jesus performed, it would fill every book all over the world. Right, He did so much that it would fill every book all across the earth. That There's not even enough paper to write it down on. So just in the Bible, there's you know about 40, uh, 40 plus miracles that he performed in the Bible. And that's just what they wrote down. That's what they deemed like, hey, we need to record this. We need to write this down so people can remember this. And some of those words, what I've already told you is Jesus healed the sick. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was dead for four days. Four days, they'd had the funeral, they'd ate brisket, they'd gone home, everybody was back to work on Monday, right? And then they're like, oh, hey, Jesus is here, right? Okay, and so uh, he fed 5,000 people with one basket of fish and bread, walked on water, he controlled the weather, right? You know, he walks on water, gets on the boat, and tells the storm to stop, and it stops. They'll think they're gonna die, right? That, that's how bad it is, the disciples are like, this is it, we're gonna die. And, and then Jesus walks out on water, and he controls the weather. See, he, he's done amazing things, Right? And he says, hey, you're going to do that, but you'll do even greater things than he's done. Now, last week we looked at the story of Lazarus, and I just want to read that to you again. We're going to go to John eleven thirty two, John eleven thirty two, and this is where Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead, and he's kind of just showing up at the scene. It says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby, uh, they said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. 
Right, she's pretty practical. She's like, man, he's going to stink, right? He, he's starting to rot. They, they just threw his dead body in a cave and rolled stone in front of it. They don't have the, the technology we have today. Roll the stone aside, but she said, hey, it's going to sink. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you would believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here. So they would believe you sent me. Then he sh- then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. Right, we see this amazing story where he goes back, and Lazarus is dead, he's been dead four days, and, you know, his sisters are like, man, if you had been here, you know, if you had been here, he'd be alive. Right, if you had been here, he'd be alive. And he says, hey, roll the stone away. And she's like, whoa, whoa, he stinks, right? And his toes are starting to fall off. His nose cave in, eyeballs all shrunk up, right? The dude is dead, right? It's not like he died four hours ago, right? He's dead, dead. They've wrapped him up, thrown some spices on him, thrown him in the cave, right? You know, this is not a temperature-controlled cave. If it was hot, it's hot in there, right? If it's cold, it's freezing cold in there, right? And then he goes up and he says, roll the stone away. I love how he says, you know, God, I know you hear me. The only reason I said that out loud is because everybody around me. I know that you hear me, right? But I'm saying that so they'll believe you sent me, right? And he says, Lazarus, come out. And I've, I've heard preachers say that he had to call him by name because if he'd have said, come out, everybody would have stood up and walked out. He had to been like, hey, well, it's time out. You, you guys got to go back, right? Just Lazarus, right? And so he called my name, Lazarus, come out. And this story is so incredible. And we hear where Jesus says, hey, you're going to do greater things than I. And you look at this story and think, my Lord, I haven't even done anything close to that. But you know what happened? Lazarus died again. Right? We talked about this last week. Lazarus died again. Right? He, he grew, grew old and died again. He didn't live forever. Right? We don't hear about Lazarus still living today. Right? He died again. Now, this was an incredible miracle. And we think, man, when I, I'm supposed to be doing, we're talking about doing greater things than Jesus did. Right? And if you look at the miracles uh, of the apostles, right? You know, Peter and Paul and, and all these guys, they perform miracles uh, all through Acts, you know. Uh, Acts chapter 1, Jesus goes to heaven. Acts chapter 2, they get the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of the book, they go out and they perform miracles all over. Right? And they, they did crazy things. They healed people. They raised people from the dead. Uh, Paul gets bitten by a snake on a, on an island. You know, you think about Pirates of the Caribbean, and they're on an island eating with the native people, and a snake bites him. It says it shakes it off in the fire. It says that the natives there sat and waited for him to die. I mean, that's how poisonous it was. They're like, this dude is gonna fall over any minute, right? Dinner and a show, right? They thought this guy's, and then, and then it's like, you know, an hour goes by, and they're like, that, that dude didn't fall over right? I mean, you can imagine getting bit by a rattlesnake or something like that. You know, think about camping out with an old cowboy and he gets bit by a rattlesnake and just shakes it off in the fire. You'd be like, dear God, somebody call 911, right? Right? And so we see that this is incredible. This is amazing, but none of this looks greater than what Jesus did, right? None of it seems to, to go above and beyond what Jesus did. And they're the apostles, right? Peter was right there with Jesus. Paul's walking on a road and Jesus shows up in front of him and tells him, hey, you're going to serve me now, right? And scales go over his eyes and he can't see, right? I mean, he had this like life-changing experience with Jesus. You would think these guys, if anybody was doing crazy miracles, it would be them, 
right? You know, Paul's preaching one time. He preaches so long, guy falls out of a house window and dies. He walks down, raises him from the dead, and gets back up and keeps preaching. You would think that would be a good time to pray and go home, go eat chicken, right? It's like somebody has just died because you're preaching so long. Like, you need to be done, bro, right? But he gets up and he keeps talking. And so we look at these and we think that none of this looks greater than what Jesus did. So what we did is we looked closer at one of the miracles uh, right after Jesus leaves. If you look at Acts chapter 1, Jesus goes to heaven. He tells the guys, hey, I'm going to leave. Right, I've got to go. And he said, but you stay here in Jerusalem till you get the Holy Spirit. They were in an upper room, which just means they were upstairs. Right, They went upstairs into a room, and he said, don't leave till the Holy Spirit gets here. And they're like, how do we know when he gets here? He's like, trust me, you'll know. Right, You'll know when he gets here. And so he tells them, hey, hey, wait here for the Holy Spirit. They receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They step out of this upper room, and everybody thinks that they're drunk. Right, They think that that you know, man, they've been drinking all night. You know, it's, it's early in the morning and it's about nine o'clock and Peter comes out and Peter steps to the front of the crowd. And I love it. You know, Peter was always getting in trouble with Jesus because he was always jumping out and talking, right? His mouth would outrun his brain, right? Jesus said, I have to die on the cross. Peter said, no, you're not, right? We'll kill everybody. We will slaughter them and we will, you know, we're gonna take over the world. You're not dying. He said, no, you don't understand. I have to die, right? You need to sit back. You need to hush, right? He tells him, get behind me, Satan. That's a little bit harsh, you know? If you're out with friends and they're like, hey, you're not going to do this. You know, you don't need to take that new job. You're like, get behind me, Satan. They'd be like, what's wrong with you, right? And so Jesus does this, but, but you know, Peter comes out and he, he jumps out and he starts preaching. And he says, hey, <clears throat> we're not drunks too early in the morning for that, right? It's 9 o'clock. We're not, we're not drunk, right? And he begins to preach. Okay, now we're going to jump into the very end of his message, Acts chapter 237. Um, and, and it says that in verse 37, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Right? So he preaches to this huge crowd, and it says that, that it pierced their hearts. And then they ask each other, what do we do? You know, he yells out, hey, what are we supposed to do? The crowd wants to know, what's next? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Right? Don't you know when they're, they're writing this down? They're like, and he would not shut up, right? He just kept preaching. Strongly urging all the listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Peter's first message after receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he gets 3,000 people saved, right? It's no coincidence, it's no accident that that's what happens. God didn't say, oh man, well, that's awesome, that's the way that worked out. Right, Jesus said, hey, you'll do greater things than I. The first thing Peter does is get 3,000 people saved. Right, we know that Jesus' first miracle is he turned water into wine at a wedding. Right, because his mother told him to. Right, she said, do this, and he told her, hey, it's not my time yet. And she said, boy, you better do that before I get the switch out. Right, right, and he's like, okay, mom, if you say so. Right, and so... Peter leads, so you, you look at the comparison of these two miracles. The greatest miracle that we experience today, the greatest miracle in the Bible is salvation, right? Is salvation. Now, you know, you, you could argue that statement, right? Without the birth of Christ, there is no salvation. Without his resurrection, there is no salvation, right? But the greatest thing we experience in the church today is salvation, right? The, the, you know, Jesus, it says in the word that you're transferred from darkness to light, 
that your, your soul has been dead, your spirit is dead, but when you receive Jesus, he brings it back to life. Right now, you know, if, if somebody wheeled a casket in here and, you know, I said, Jimmy, come forth, and they stood up in the casket, we'd all freak out, right? Somebody would probably pass out, kids would be screaming, right? It'd be mass pandemonium, you know? Next week, you'd either have one person or there'd be like 10,000 people here, Right? I mean, I mean, there would be sick people lined up because, like, man, he raised somebody from the dead. That, that, that's insane, right? Or, or, you know, some incredible miracle, right? And we would all be here, and we would all be like, man, that's amazing. But when somebody gets saved, you know, if I, if I did a salvation call and I said, hey, 10 people raise their hands, we would give a little golf clap, right? And, and, and it's not your fault. We've just been accustomed to it. We've been trained to it, right? It's not a big deal, Right, but if I raise somebody from the dead, that's a that's awesome, right? That helps their family, but then they just die again. See, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet with Lazarus, so they went to a place called Abraham's bosom, and it was called paradise, right? And that's where uh, you know they could almost see into hell. That's where that conversation happens, uh, where they can almost you know. So it's, they're not in heaven, but it's paradise, and he's been there for four days, right? You think when he walked out of the tomb, he's like, really, Jesus? Really, I just got settled in my house, right? Got the bed the way I wanted it, and then pff, now I'm back here, right? Couldn't you just left me alone, right? I mean, I mean, they go to heaven. If somebody dies, you know, you're in heaven, you're in paradise. We suffer, we hurt, right? Because we're here on the earth. And so if I raise them, it'd be incredible, but they would die again. But if I lead someone to Christ, if I get somebody saved, they live forever in eternity with Jesus, that's much greater than living here on the earth, right? Is they spend eternity in heaven, right? And so that, that's my goal. I want to read to you Colossians 1.20. And it says, through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross, right? Jesus dying on the cross was not a miracle. Jesus raising from the dead was the miracle, right? There is no power in the cross. The power is in the blood of Jesus, right? There, you know, back in the day, they didn't have crosses on their t-shirts. You know, Peter didn't have a cross necklace. That'd be like you wearing a cross with, uh, you know, lethal injection on it or the electric chair on it, right? I mean, you wouldn't do that, but that's not a good sign for us, right? You know, that's capital punishment, right? That's, that's death. They didn't wear that, what was amazing to them is when they went to the tomb, it was empty, right? They went, they went back to the tomb, and the angel said, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead, right? And then Thomas was like, well, I won't believe it till I see him. And then, boom, Jesus walks through the wall. You wouldn't that freak you out? It's like, God doesn't even need doors anymore. Just poof, through the wall, right? And that was the miracle, right? And because of that, we get to experience the greatest miracle of salvation, Think how we have the ability to populate heaven, right? You have the ability to bring with you anybody you want, right? You have that, that ability to, to reach out to anybody around you. Now, if, if you think about life, if you think about what matters, if you think about who you're going to be and what you're going to be about, in the small amount of time we have on the earth, and you don't know how long your time is, right? You don't know. My uncle didn't wake up that morning and think, hey, today's my last day. Nobody does that, 
right? We were joking uh, uh, with Greg earlier about living to be 110. And we're like, that might be good or might be really, really bad. You know, it's like, I'd rather just go on to heaven than be 110, right? And so we don't know when our life ends. And we pour ourselves into so many things, right? What are you going to be about? It seems like as you get older, something clicks in your brain that you, you have this need to become about politics, right? There's this desire that that's what I'm going to be about. I think it's so funny that the, the men in my life who are older, who you hear stories about their wild young days, and now they talk about civic lessons, right? You know, and it's like back in the day, it was hot rods and, and cigarettes and alcohol and running around and being wild. And now it's like all they want to talk about is politics, right? Or, or I have a friend in ministry who travels, and he's decided to take on sex trading, you know, sex trafficking, and, and that's what he's going to find. And that's honorable. That's amazing, right? Or we decide we're going to take on abortion, right? And we're going to fight against abortion, right? And I don't believe in abortion. I think it's wrong. I don't think we should do that. But here's what you have to understand is that's not what we're here to do. The greatest thing you can do your time on the earth is get people saved. If, if we abolished abortion, and it was illegal across the globe. That would be incredible. It'd be amazing. But nobody goes to heaven because of it. If we stop sex trafficking, it'd be amazing, right? It'd be incredible. But nobody goes to heaven over it. And it doesn't mean that, hey, I, you know, well, I, just, I don't have to care about anything on the earth or I don't care about anything going on in the world, you know. What matters is, is everywhere I go, I bring Jesus, Everybody I'm around, I'm about Jesus, right? You may know people that sell vitamins or, or vitamin juice or they're always trying to sell something, you know, Advocare or Herbalife or something like that. And it's like every time you get around, they're like, oh, there's that person that sells something. They're going to want me to buy something. You know, they're going to want me to buy some pot that can never be destroyed in a nuclear attack, right? You know, and, you know, something crazy, you know, can, you know put this bracelet on because when God made you, he couldn't balance you right. And so you need this extra ounce on your wrist so you're properly balanced, right? Because God kind of screwed it up. He didn't put enough weight over here. And so you're, that's why you're always falling over, right? And it's like, you know, they're always about something, right? And pastor has always said, dad has always said my whole life, he said, everywhere I want to go, I want people to be like, hey, there's that Jesus guy. Man, watch out, there's that guy who's always talking about Jesus, right? I want to read you one verse, 2 Timothy 3.13. Paul is talking to Timothy in this about the last days, right? And he says, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will them themselves be deceived, right? They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived, right? Here's what I want you to see in this is that when we decide to take something on, here's what you have to understand about the world. People are deceived, right? People are deceived and they're deceiving others and they themselves are deceived, right? Abortion shouldn't even be a question, right? That, that should be a very simple uh, you know, I had somebody post on Facebook that, that the election was so difficult because do I vote for a wall or do I vote for uh, abortion? And somebody commented and said, really, you can't decide between construction and murder, right? You can't make that decision, right? They're deceived. The world is deceived. You're the only hope. The hope of the world is the church. The one thing Jesus did when he left was start the church, 
right? That's what he did. He said, hey, guys, y'all need to start church, right? You know, Peter's first Sunday, he's got 5,000 people and 3,000 get saved, right? Anybody who's ever started a church, Peter was way better, right? His first Sunday comes out and they think the pastor's drunk, right? He's off to a great start, right? But then 5,000 people show up. He starts preaching, 3,000 people get saved. The world is deceived. The world is blind, right? Isaiah says, woe to those who think evil is good and good is evil, right? And that's the way the world thinks, that evil is okay and what is good is wrong. Here's what I want you to know, is what we're called to be about, who we're called to be, is the light of Christ and his salvation. The greatest miracle there is, is salvation. The greatest miracle you perform in your life and in your world is getting someone saved, is leading someone to Jesus, right? That's why, you know, you impact people I never do. You know people I don't know, right? What we're here to do is to encourage each other, right? Pray for each other, hang out with each other, and then go back, right? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, go, go into the world, right? And what we think is, well, the world, you know, that, that's Africa, right? Just go into your world, right? Go into your domain, into your area, and bring Christ with you, right? I, I heard some, uh, it was a lesson on, on how to get teenagers to lead people to Christ, right? Sometimes you think it's, like, it's awkward. How do, I, how do I say, hey, do you, do you know Jesus? Would you like to, right? You know, people are like, that's, that's weird. And the thing is, is you have to be aware of conversations, right? If, if we were out at a car show and we're looking at a fast car and it's like, oh, man, that's a sweet car. It's like, yeah, man, I bet that's fast. Yeah, I bet it is. Man, I bet you could wreck that easy. Oh, I bet you could. Man, if you wreck that car going that fast, you'd be dead. Yeah, you would, dead as a doornail. Where do you think you'd go if you died? And it's like, bam, just in that conversation, you lead right into it. It's not like, hey, brother in Christ, give me a hug. Jesus loves you today. Would you like to know him? Because people are like, oh, you're, you're a weirdo, right? Right, and, and I've, I've prayed this since my very first sermon in Ground Zero. I prayed, God, I pray that it's not my words, but your words, right? God, speak through me, right? The Bible says that the righteous are bold as lions, right? God's going to speak through me. God's going to move through me. It's not up to me to make it happen. God, you move. Holy Spirit, you move. Look at the correlation. You know, Peter, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, then he gets them saved, Right, It wasn't the other way around. It was the Holy Spirit working through him. It says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. Right, You pray, God, as I speak to people, I pray it pierces their hearts. It's not up to you to make it happen. God's going to move through you. And the greatest miracle there is is salvation. The greatest miracle that happens uh, in our Christmas services, in every service, is the altar call. Right, When we get to that point of bow your head and close your eyes, and you know what we do? We talked about it last week. We tune out. We check out. Right, you lean over to your neighbor. Hey, where do you want to go eat? I don't know. What's open? Is that a new Italian place open? How long do you think that's going to stay open? Right? You think they're going to last? Right? Nobody else does. This town is cursed unless you're a Mexican restaurant, right? And it's like, I think pastor's trying to get people saved, right? You know, but we check out, we tune out. We're like, you know, get on the edge of your seat so you can beat the crowd out, right? I don't want to be stuck in the parking lot. It's a new parking lot, and we're already stuck in it. Now, get out there as quick as you can, right? It's like, you know, mom, can I buy a calendar? Hush, quit talking. Pastor's trying to pray. Right, we tune out, we check out, we move on 
It's the end of the service. Mentally, we're just done. Right, but what's happening is the most important part of the service, the opportunity for people to find Christ. Right, worship and the message. You know, worship is like a plow, right? And we're plowing people's hearts, preparing the ground. Then what we do up here is we're throwing seed out, right? And seed is, is hitting that, that soft, tender ground, and it's planting, right? And it's growing. And then there's going to come that moment that somebody's going to say, hey, I, I need Jesus. Or maybe they've, they've drifted away. They're a prodigal, right? Like the prodigal son, they've left, and they've come back. We've, we've had people in, in, in our Christmas and Easter services that will come up to pastor and say, I haven't been to church in 25 years. You know, I haven't been to church in 20 years. Right, and I rededicated my life to Christ today. That's a miracle, right? That's a miracle that that would happen. And it's so important. See, Ashley, Ashley, my sister asked me one time, she said, you know, how many times do you think you've prayed the salvation prayer? I've been in church my whole life, right? Camps, youth camps, you know, if we do three Christmas services, I'm in all three services. You know, I pray that prayer every three services, right? It's like I probably prayed it a million times. I just want to make sure that I'm getting in, right? You know, I, I want to nail it down. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you've prayed that prayer a thousand times. You think, man, I'm saved. I haven't drifted away. I love the Lord. Here's the thing that you do, right? What's Pastor been talking about? You turn that expector on, right? You crank it up. God, I, I believe you're going to move. God, I believe people's hearts are open. God, I believe that just as Peter's pier- words pierce their hearts, pastor's words have pierced their hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray you're moving, right? If you know how to pray in the Spirit, you pray in tongues, you begin to pray in the Spirit, right? It's not about people hearing you. It's not about being seen. It's about just cranking that up, that expectation of God, you move. God, I found you when I was eight years old, right? I pray that somebody here this morning, they find you, that they would see you. I pray the prodigals would turn their lives over to you right now, that, Father, they're moving. Instead of, oh, we'll just bow our heads and check your phone. What time is it? Did he go five minutes over this morning? Gosh, he wouldn't be quiet. Right? And we, we plug in. We get connected. We're, we're, we're realizing. We're not getting up and leaving. We're not distracting during that time. But we're, we're connected. And we're knowing, hey, the most important. Cause he, I always tell the kids in Ground Zero. I say, hey, if you can't get your friends saved, you bring them to Ground Zero and we'll get them saved. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Just say, hey, come to Ground Zero. Right, come to ground zero with me tonight. And I said, we'll get him saved. Christmas is the same way. If you got people in your life you want to lead to Christ, people that have walked away from God that you want to bring them back home, get them to Christmas. Right, get them in those services. And then when that time comes of, hey, bow your head, right, and close your eyes, pastors always said in church, ever since I was a kid, he would always close his service with, hey, you know, bow your heads and we're going to do business with God. We're going to do business with God, right? We're connecting with God. We're talking to God. This is a sacred time. This time matters because we want people to find Jesus. Let's, let's bow our heads and we'll close in prayer. You better behave. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that just as Peter's words pierced their hearts, Father, that your words would pierce our hearts this morning that it would sink deep into our souls. Father, I pray anybody here this morning that is far from you, Father, that you're drawing them closer. You're bringing them home. You're drawing them into you. Father, we lift up our Christmas services coming up December 
22nd and December 23rd. Father, I pray that as we do those three services, that the lost would be drawn, that we would invite the lost. You would guide and direct us on who to invite. You would show us a person. You would drop a person in our heart right now and say, hey, I want you to invite that person. I want you to bring them. And Father, I pray that the the prodigals, those who have drifted away from you, would be drawn, that we would invite those people. And as they get into this service, Father, that you would show up. Holy Spirit, that you would move from the first song to the very last second of that service. God, that you're moving, that Holy Spirit, you're moving, and that people would experience the greatest miracle in the Bible, and that is salvation. That they would be transferred out of darkness and into light. That their names would be written in the Lamb's book of life. That when they die and go to the other side, that they're greeted by Jesus himself, Father. We thank you for that. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you would die on a cross and that, more importantly, you would defeat death, hell, and the grave and raise from the dead for us, to save us, to rescue us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.